Welcome to the Blueprint Podcast, where we throw out the old blueprint so you can become who you were always meant to be. I'm your host, Jason Smith. And if you haven't already, make sure you share this podcast with your friends on social media and tag me in it at jbirdfit. Today, we have author of Moving On Doesn't Mean Letting Go, Gina Maffa. Gina. Hi, I can hear you. So I've decided to go with nice. naked ears. Is that going to so be a, sorry, everybody. Is that going to be a problem for you? I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay. I think we're okay. I know for me, I'm always like, I got to have it like in my ear because I have a German shepherd and she likes to make an appearance. I'd rather that <laughs> than the construction workers making their way to my windows shortly or my 92-year-old neighbor, Ingrid, who likes to say hello in the middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Just that random knock at the door. She does, yeah. She does. She's lovely. She needs company sometimes. I already love her. That's awesome. <laughs> Gina, welcome to the 21-Day Self-Love Challenge. We've got all sorts of people in the group here today. And as I told you previously, so many of them have gone through some sort of experience of loss, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, maybe it's a job, financial, a loved one. So I'm really excited to have you here today to share your experience with us. So with that, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote the book, Moving On Doesn't Mean Letting Go. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I wish I could see your faces. I'll be honest. It's okay. They but... wouldn't show them if they could. Oh, this is one of those. That's, this is one of those groups. Okay. So, okay. I totally okay. get it. I'd be the same way, like eating cookies, but um, my name is Gina. Hi everyone. I am a grief and trauma therapist in New York city. And yes, I just wrote a book on loss and I wrote this book. Moving on doesn't mean letting go because I was working during the pandemic and so many more people that were younger, like our age going through losses, but not really understanding it. And yeah, we had a lot of physical death and all of that, but so many people were also losing relationships, friendships, getting sober and not knowing what to do about it, feeling like they're losing an identity or going through loss and not having anyone understand what they're going through and feeling really isolated and really lonely. And there was just that just so many different types of losses that people didn't understand and society has not taught us to understand. And with the clock always seemingly ticking for us to do better, faster, we've got to skirt around things, toxic positivity, it really made it hard for me to help people have permission. Yes, thank you, losses of jobs, divorces, homes, all of it for sure, all devastating to people and feeling alone, isolated, ashamed, but feeling like we didn't have the space or the permission to really grieve that or really have the permission to go through the experience of loss. And when you asked me to be a part of this, I was like, your people talk about relationships and attachment and how do I fit in? And the more that I was thinking about it though, everybody here who's listening will go through loss of some kind. You will lose someone important to yourself, but, but more than that, the nuance of loss, which we don't talk enough about, is you have probably lost so many things, so many important, significant ways of being or other things in your life that were really important to you that maybe you didn't give enough credit to or enough time to or feel supported during, during so you pushed it down. And so that was really why I wanted to write my book is I wanted to give someone who, number one, may not have access to therapy for a million reasons. And number two, may not trust a therapist because they've had a bad or crappy therapist before, which is also very common, right. the opportunity to have therapeutic tools in a safer way. And so it felt really important for me to write that, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, we could spend but the entire hour just on the pandemic and all the things that, that we experienced. You mentioned that you were trying to see how you fit into the 21 day self-love challenge, but all loss can be linked back to attachment. And Absolutely. it's not just our attachment styles, but our attachment to things, to stuff, to situations, the, the things that make us feel safe within our environment, that job that we needed so badly to be able to pay the bills and going yeah. paycheck to paycheck. There is an attachment there as well. And I was wondering if you could just expand more on that thought process. Absolutely. I think it is just what I said is that there's so many things that we get attached to, right? Just as you said, at the heart of grief is attachment. 
And what I really find so upsetting about our society is that our society gets to dictate to us what we are allowed to be attached to. If we even look at bereavement leave, we get three days. And that's only if you are, have lost an immediate family member. If I went in there and say I lost my dog, they would laugh at me. They don't care. They don't, right. there's no, some people are closer with their best friend or their cousin than they are with their immediate family. And so even just that alone, having society dictate to us who, who we're allowed to grieve and what we're allowed to grieve is really a big part of the problem of how, why we're also grief illiterate. But you get to decide what your attachment is. You get to decide what is the most important, significant thing to you that you've lost. And you get to be validated through that. So, yeah, sorry, I'm trying to also read some of this, <laughs> some of these comments and talk at the same time, which I realize I'm not so good at. Oh, you're but, doing wonderful. But, yeah, I think exactly what I'm reading here, the biggest thing we could do is give another person permission to feel what they feel. That I have an entire chapter that is the permission to feel what you feel. And I think the funny thing is when you've lost something or someone really significant, and I'm talking a lot about society and I'm bashing it a little bit because I do think that the way in which we feel permission to feel what we feel, even our own self-love is, is so judged and overlooked is, or looked over, right? We, if we're grieving or even if we're going through a hard time, if we feel really bad, society is like, you better either do something about that, feel better or get yourself some serious help. If you feel really good, they're like, I don't know, maybe she didn't love that person enough. Maybe she's at a concert. Maybe she's not really grieving. Maybe she's doing okay. And there's no room for nuance. And right. I, I think we can see that even this week with the way things are going in the world. It's you're either one or you're the other. And there's no ability to hold two things at once, um, which is actually the entire human experience is many of us feeling two things at once. Um, but yesterday I was actually talking about permission to feel what we feel, which is incredibly important. And I also want to say that if you're going through loss and you have things to do and you've, you've lost a job and so you can't actually spend the time to grieve that loss because you've got bills to pay or you've got kids to take care of or you've got a parent to give money to, whatever it may be, you don't actually have the luxury to grieve. And so I also, in my book, will say you have permission not to grieve, too. If you have things happening, you don't, there's not one set period with grief of any kind um, where you just, you know, like, this is it, one and done. You know, you get to grieve for as long as you need to grieve. And you get to feel how you feel for as long as you get to feel, you know, how you feel. And so I just want to keep reiterating that there's no set time. There's no start time. And if you've lost something or someone and you don't have the capacity, the emotional capacity, or you don't have the actual time or space to do it, it's okay too. And when it comes, we should all still be there to validate you too. I love that you went to the place of grief illiteracy because so many of us have experienced this throughout the different careers that we may have had. I was a chef before this and a police officer. I've worn many hats throughout my lifetime. And the one thing that has remained true across all those different platforms, those different career paths, is that grief illiteracy. We don't allow for the nuance of what's the human experience, right? That duality that two things can be true at one time. That yes, somebody can be grieving, but they still have to carry on and move on about their day and do different things and show up for obligations. And when that we have that perception of that, oh, well, they must be fine. And it's, they're not fine. <laughs> and so I think it's really important to look at grief and say, what is it? How can we define that? Because sometimes we might be feeling another emotion that isn't grief, or we're feeling an emotion and it actually is grief. We're angry and we didn't realize that it was actually grief. Oh, all the time. I think that people don't realize that grief is the mothership of all of these emotions, but also grief is a full body experience. You're not just going to feel grief from the neck up. You're going to feel it in, 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 in your heart. There's actually a thing called broken hearted syndrome for a reason. The muscles around your heart weaken when you've gone through an incredibly extreme emotional and physical experience. Inflammation rises in our bodies when we're going through stress. Grief is stress. We lose sleep. How many people here, you know, lose something or someone? You can't sleep. You can't eat. 
your stomach hurts all the time, you're getting migraines. It is a full body experience that very few people can understand. And moreover, it takes a lot of endurance to grieve. And so when you're like, I don't know if it's grief, I just know that I'm angry. Yeah, anger is grief. Anger, when we sit, there's that one quote, when, when I sat with my anger long enough, I realized she told me her name was grief. And that's sadness and that's anxiety. We forget too that anxiety is a part of grieving. That it's this entire, almost encompassing experience after a loss of any kind. And by the way, like I was saying earlier, sometimes we don't have the time to grieve, right? Or we don't have the space or capacity, but sometimes the grief actually doesn't come to the surface for many years, many months, many weeks, or many years. If you're with me right now, and maybe there's a loss that you had many years ago that may pop up during other times of stress, that's completely normal. It's just completely normal. So I just want to normalize that it can come at any time in any way with any attachment that's really important to you. And you get to define what that is. And you get to, you're the person who gets to say what's important to you. That's all. Not us, not society. So. What is ambiguous grief? Ambiguous loss is actually a really tough one in a lot of ways. And it's expanding its definition. When Pauline Boss first defined it, it was really in terms of um, a loss that was present in, it was present in psychological and psychology, right? So it would be a kidnapped person, right? So they're missing, but there's no body. So there's no closure. She described September 11th when no bodies were able to, with the bodies that were not able to be discovered as ambiguous loss, kidnappings of any kind. But also we've now understood it to be expanded as people who have a chronic illness who are not getting better, progressive mental illnesses, dementia, Alzheimer's, estrangements. There's an ambiguous loss happening right now with a lot of people coming into my practice talking about friendship loss. This seems to be a really big one. It's like, I'm actually writing my second book on this topic. It's a little spicier <laughs> than my current one. But, but it is so many people, especially post-COVID, are realizing that they're just not the same people anymore. They don't want to be around the same people anymore. Or they've been ghosted by friends or dropped by friends or friends are just different. And so that person's there and they're still alive and we're mourning them. And so that's an ambiguous loss, just like any sort of divorce or breakup that feels really, and also missing. Right. Okay. But it's really, there's also a lack of closure to it. You're hitting all the key points. I was, <laughs> that's <laughs> so funny. That was the next question is that lack of closure is mm -hmm. something that so many people struggle with, especially someone who has a more anxious attachment style. Mm-hmm they go through a breakup, they go through some sort of loss and they constantly or consistently try to figure out what happened. What did I do wrong? And they go to this place where they start blaming themselves for that experience. What would you tell somebody on how to navigate that ambiguity of not having closure? I think the hardest part of certain losses with anxious attachment is that rumination. And I think that when we are trying to get into the would have, could have, should have, it's really about teaching about the magical thinking quality of that and really trying to rewrite the script in a way that puts somebody in a place of a more powerful position. Because when we have that anxious attachment, we're giving away our power in a lot of way. Right. And so when we do that, we're not looking at the entire picture whatsoever. So what we're doing is we're looking at the things that we could anxiously have done differently. Whatever we can do to get that person back, whatever could give us a sense of having control again, but it's all magical thinking. And so for me, a lot of it is trying to retell a narrative in a way that takes away the other person's power in some way. And because it's not real, nobody had, when there's a breakup, yes, because it does feel like there's a power dynamic. But it doesn't have to be that way with anxious attachment. And so I think it's coming back to the things that we have control in and the things that we can, can learn from, right, with ourselves and what our patterns are. And thank you, because I was just coming to that and the complicated grief. <laughs> I'm, the one thing, I can read one sentence. 
What I was about to say is the one thing with anxious attachment that can make it very hard is there's something called complicated grief and there is something that then leads to prolonged grief disorder, which very few people do actually have. But what it really is born in is the pattern of rumination, is the pattern of looking at things that you wish could have been different and finding ways to change the outcome. And that can isolate us. How many friends have we been, how do we talk to about what this could have been different or what could I have done differently or what can I do to get them back or do you think they'll love me again or whatever it may be or how sometimes people will go and transfer that energy onto somebody new and they say the quickest way to get over someone is to get under someone else also mm -hmm. if you're anxious and so some people will do that in my practice. And it's really <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. Said. <laughs> Not very well. Not very well. But yeah. I think it's really about bringing that sense back to what is it within me that I'm missing? What can I fulfill? But it's a lot about the trauma work is like, where do we not feel safe in our lives that we then seek safety and connection in unsafe people and things? So it's a lot of that. And I really feel like this is the anxious attacher's superpower is that when you start working on yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, mm -hmm. and maybe you take a little bit of time off from dating or relationships. And if you're in one, obviously you got to stay in it and work through that discomfort with your partner. But when you're outside of a relationship, it's such a wonderful opportunity to rediscover who you are or to discover yourself for the very first time. And I think that's mm -hmm. what so many people, not necessarily from an attachment standpoint, but throughout 2020, they were discovering about themselves is, am I the person that I've always been? Because now I've had time to stop, to slow down, to rest, and to see things from a different perspective. But yet I'm also under this high level of stress of all these unknowns that are happening around me, and I don't have control over any of this. And I think you get to that existential question really quickly. Who am I? But that's really the path to, to growth and expansion is being able to get to the place where you can answer that question for yourself. Yeah. But it's all these small little steps over a long period of time. And now on the other side of this, people are still with that mindset of, I need to get back. I want to get back. Mm-hmm. And you can't go back. You can't time travel backward or forward. The only thing that we have is right now. And so what would you tell somebody who has that perception that I just want things the way they were? I want to get back to the way that I was. What would you mm -hmm. tell them? If I'm being honest, it's a trauma reaction. I think that what we don't talk enough about is that when you are in and when you have anxious attachment and you lose something or someone significant, you are tossed into a state of trauma because our nervous system goes into fight or flight. And for me, even to get to all of those pieces, I need somebody to feel safe. And when we, when we, how many people here can say it, when you've gone through a breakup and you do have anxious attachment, everything that feels safe, the bottom falls out and everything that feels safe doesn't feel safe anymore. That throws your nervous system into dysregulation immediately. And what I think has to happen first before we can even get to any of those other steps is for us to figure out ways to increase our window of tolerance, ways to center ourselves, ways to feel safe again. Because if we can't do that, there's no way we can process any emotions and there's no way we can look deeply inside of ourselves and there's no way we can self-reflect because we won't feel safe enough to do it. We'll just be anxiously clawing in anything to feel safe right? That may be numbing out. It may be substances. It may be shopping too much. It may be gambling, maybe a lot of overeating, all of the things. And so I think it's important to know that we have trauma um, after a loss if we have an anxious attachment style. Not 100% of the time, but if you think about anyone who's gone through a traumatic event, there's a before and an after. And all people want to do is get back to that before when things felt safe, when things felt predictable, when things felt they were ready to just, when they didn't feel like they were in a free fall. There was that stability and then that stability was pulled away. Or seeming stability. The illusion, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is Grasping it okay? at anything just to feel something, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a big one. Yeah. 
with, with all the experiences that we've had, is it okay to look back on those and say that they were a gift? There, there's a lot of people that feel one way or the other on this, and that it's a very strong polarizing subject when we start talking about this. Mm-hmm. What's your perception on that? My perception is whatever works for someone. Who am I to say what is not a gift for someone? I think that we are, this kind of goes back to society. I don't get to dictate to you what feels like it has meaning to you. I don't get to dictate what feels like it doesn't. If it feels like a total waste of your time or it it ruins something within you, I respect that greatly. And I will help you find ways to rebuild. But as a therapist, I'm with you as a traveling companion, not a judge. And so for me, it's really important. It's the same way that if somebody says to me, I've gone through this traumatic breakup and it was traumatic and I'm so traumatized, right? And some therapists and schools of thought will say, that's not trauma. This is the definition of trauma. What you've gone through is a normal breakup. Okay, sure. It's good to normalize. And I am not going to say what your nervous system has been through. Let's explore that together. That is not my job. My job is to be with you to discover and help you find tools to cope and actually gauge how bad is this? Do we need EMDR? Do we need talk therapy? What is it? Do we need to get into some body work? But the truth is whatever anyone finds as a gift, great, amazing. If that feels like a sense of resiliency and meaning to you, I support that 100%. But if it doesn't, I also respect and support that 100%. And I'm with you every step of the way, no matter what. But I'm not a, I'm not choosing sides. It's not a spectator event finding a gift. <laughs> yeah, it's not a competition. The the problem right. that I see a lot right. on social media is if I share my story, and mm-hmm. I see my experiences as a gift, and someone else sees that as this horrible negative thing that occurred, and yeah, it was horrible and negative. But I chose the way I perceived that differently to help me, to serve me Mm -hmm. so that I could grow, expand and become different, to become stronger, Mm -hmm. to develop resilience around that particular topic or subject or incident. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you see them in the comment section. You're you're a bad person for, for doing that. You're minimizing everything else that everybody else has ever experienced in a lifetime. And it's no, I'm sharing my story Mm -hmm. and how I perceive that experience you're free to choose how you see it. (laughs) Yeah, that is the problem. That is the problem with social media. If we don't agree with somebody, we're very quick and free to let them know that we don't agree with it or they're not telling the whole story. Look, I think there is a prevalence of emotional and spiritual bypassing in the world, that good vibes only club. But I also think that only goes so far for people until they come up against a brick wall of their own psyche. And that's their journey that's their journey. I think that anyone who preaches that what they have gone through and what has worked for them will then work for everyone is totally bullshit. And that I don't subscribe to. But I think when people share their own personal experience, how can you disrespect that? And I think it's important. I think these days it feels like everyone has to have a caveat. I know this won't work for everyone, but this did work for me. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay, too. I I do feel like we need that. I've made that video, too. (laughs) (laughs) And you get back, you're bald. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things. I'm just going to get a disclaimer on my shirt. Like Anything I say, I I think it's at this point, it's 2023, right? Just understand that things are nuanced and it's not going to line up with you. And my nervous system is different than yours. And all I can do is share information that I I think is going to be helpful. And if you find it useful for you, that's wonderful. But if not, have the discernment to say, you know what, I'm actually going to have to block and delete so that I don't have to experience you on social media because it makes me feel a certain way. And I think that's where so many people struggle is they don't ever stop themselves like, oh, I'm emotionally activated. Now I need to respond to this. And it's no, you could just say, no, pattern interrupt, clap my hands, yell, change, stop. We're not going to do this. Put your phone down, walk away, go for a walk, do something different Mm -hmm. and not engage with that stuff because you're still putting the energy into that experience and you begin to do these things to yourself over and over again. You do. And it's hard. I think it's hard, especially, look, this week, I've wanted to stay off social media just because actually, no matter what anybody says, even if you say what many people agree with, you're saying the wrong thing or you're not saying enough. And so it it does. That's the hard one. You're not saying enough. Yeah. Everybody wants you to have an opinion. 
Yeah. And that's, yeah, I do. I did post about that today. Exactly that. But um, it's under the guise of secondary trauma. But the idea of, you know, I was going to ask you about that too. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) But somebody said here that something that I thought was really actually helpful. I am sure you've seen both sides of it within the widowed community. Each is what is needed for individual person. It is, sorry, I'm not really, it could also be to not feel what one doesn't want to. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think when someone's in therapy, um, sometimes people will come in and they'll say, I'm doing great. And I'm like, great. What are you doing? What are we going to talk about today? And, and not everything has to be so dark and gloomy. Sometimes I want to know what's going well. And that can lead to some things that are not going well, or somebody can actually begin to find a gift in something that feels really hard. And that's- Where did you find joy today? (laughs) Yeah. But I also wanted to say that there's always that bridge, right? When people get to a place where they can say something's a gift, it didn't start out that way. You didn't go through something traumatizing and something life-changing and turbulent and horrifically painful. And you came out, dusted yourself off, and life is amazing. Yeah, six months later, everything's great. That's not not what people are talking about when they say that. Exactly. Although, you know, I think that so many people are afraid of going back to the darkness that they almost want to pretend it didn't exist. Um, And so, and you have to respect people's journeys, um, even at the same time as I can see through it you know, but I'm not, I've been a therapist 20 years and you can always tell a rookie therapist when they want to be the detective and tell me about your trauma and yeah, your facial expression doesn't look like that's a gift or whatever. I like to think that people are the captains of their own ships and sometimes I can see a storm ahead and sometimes I can see something in the boat that needs some help, some fixing or whatever. Sometimes I think we need another all hands on deck moment. I don't think that we should be taking um, people's power from them or their sense of autonomy in their own healing process. And, and a lot of times people are, whether it's through social media, whether it's through community, whether it's through your family, it's important that you always steer the ship. That seems to be always a big one for people is their family. True that. Here's another thing is that people always think that they have it worse, like somebody else has it worse. So I'm going to minimize my own pain and my own experience and the things that I'm going through. Because Mm -hmm. when you see it in the scope of someone else's, it's, ah, I don't have anything to complain about. Yeah, that happens all the time, too. I think, you know, we're so afraid of other people minimizing our pain that we do it first. And I remember a time that I started out my trauma career after September 11th, working with family members, but then also working with survivors of torture and (laughs) working with asylum seekers. And I remember always thinking no matter what I was going through, it just wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. I was going through hard times too. And it was a a self-protective mechanism of saying, okay, yes, there you go. Toxic positivity. It, when we compare our stuff to other people, I think it is a, I wouldn't call it toxic positivity in this particular scenario, but I would call it self-sabotaging. Yeah. And I think that it almost doesn't matter, right? So what if you're, whatever you think you're going through is not as bad as someone else's? Does that mean you don't need any help at all? You're cool. Like you can just go forth and do good things. It doesn't really matter. So sometimes when I hear that, I'm like, so what? That's actually, okay, so they went through something hard, so what? I can tell you one of the biggest challenges that I had as a police officer, I was also a crime scene. And when family members showed up to these situations, and of course the job requires so many different, you have to wear so many different hats in the midst of that particular situation. And you hear the wail of the mother who's grieving over their child while you're still operating a scene and working through that. And then at the end of that, you, you have to navigate that and process it and deal with it. But we're not often given the tools or showing how to be able to navigate that. So what it just turns into is you stuff it down, you forget about it. It pops up in dreams every now and then. Mm -hmm. And we don't, navigate our way through that what is something that i don't even know what you call that is it second yes it's (laughs) 
Yes. But at the same time, it's almost like you're experiencing what I called secondary grief, which might not be your definition of it, because I'm seeing so many different things in that experience. And then I've got the parents over here and I'm hearing that I'm taking that in. I'm, I'm pulling that in. I'm having conversations with them. Um, and you begin to feel their pain as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really hard place to be and to begin to navigate that. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, that's it is a hard place to be. And I think that depending on the scenario, you would be going through both trauma and vicarious trauma is secondary trauma, which is really witnessing firsthand someone else's trauma. And we're all probably experiencing that now or when we were going through COVID, witnessing it on the news in some capacity. But yeah, I think with secondary trauma, which I did post about today briefly, but one of the tricky things is exactly what we just were talking about is that we minimize it. We don't exactly always know what it is and therefore we don't know what to do about it. But really the same things apply of self-care and working with the trauma itself. If you are having nightmares, I would say maybe we should consider doing some work around that. How do we take the sting out of this of this experience from your subconscious? How do we make these trauma memories more integrated in a healthier way so that you can continue doing your work? And that that might be through EMDR or brain spotting. I think those are the things that work the best when it comes to things that have now been rooted in your body. If it was something where you're like, that's, that was pretty bad. I saw that and I'm thinking about it all day, but you're able to go forth. I wouldn't necessarily suggest this first, but I do think that we have to work with the stuff that's in our bodies. If you're just somebody looking at news, say for example, this week and you're watching videos and you're feeling really distressed about it on every side, no matter what it is. I think these are the times we have to really get back to basics and take really good care of ourselves because emotions, especially on social media, are incredibly contagious. And so how do we learn our limits, set our limits without feeling guilty that we're not seeing something or witnessing something people are going through, but also protect ourselves and find a way to create a more predictable structure for ourselves right now when it comes to secondary trauma, it is just, it can be just as powerful as going through trauma itself. And so I think I'm in that all hands on deck period with self-care because having a support, a support network, taking care of your body, getting outside and moving it, getting enough rest, limiting the people you fight with on the internet or limiting the videos you watch, limiting. Or just don't fight on the internet. Don't. There's. Yeah, you, you, you that is a choice. That? You can just not do that. Yeah. Can yeah. you? Yes. But yeah, can you broadcast that one thing over everything? Do not fight on the internet. Yeah. But the yeah. other part of that, mm-hmm. we feel almost this obligation that I have to sit and watch the news all day long with every waking moment that I have because of this experience that's mm-hmm. happening abroad. But we have to get to a point where you acknowledge and say to yourself that it's okay that I'm not 24 seven watching and being a part of this because I do have my own life. I do have responsibilities. There are things that I have to accomplish. There are things that I have Mm -hmm. to do. I have to continue to be my best self. And the only way that I can do that is to take care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I have to take care of my family. And the only way I can do that is to focus on doing all of those same things for them and to know that's okay. Absolutely. And I want to pay a nod to the people that get anxious when they don't watch the news because it's more anxiety provoking to not know what's going on. I see you. (laughs) And I still I'm still with exactly what you just said and that it's okay to do that. And please do. Yeah, it's good to be in the know. But at the same time, when it comes to a detriment of your own mental health and your own experiences, uh, you have to ask yourself, how is this serving me in the moment? Yeah. Let's take a second and just talk about your new book. What are oh. you doing? What are you doing with that? What does that look like? It sounded exciting. So we need to <laughs> we need to end this on a on a slightly happier note. Oh my goodness. Does anyone want to hear about it? Of course um, they do. Oh, okay. That's sweet. No. I I wrote a book uh like I said earlier, I wrote a book on grief. What what I wanted to do was write a book. It's called Moving On Doesn't Mean Letting Go. 
and it's a modern guide to navigating loss. I really wanted to write something that spoke to this post-pandemic, life is moving, oh, thank you, life is moving very fast. How do we actually deal with things? What are the tools we can use? How do I date again after loss? What if I've lost someone I don't have a good relationship with and now I have all of these guilty feelings coming up? How do I plan for things after loss in general? How, do I go to this wedding? What happens if I wake up and I don't want to go to it? Who am I now after this loss? And I talk about this one moment that I think we've all been through at some point. It's called the grief fall. And it's that one moment, it's that free fall I was talking about earlier. The one moment where we know nothing will ever be the same. And we don't talk enough about that one moment. It's this portal into this new life, whether it is a devastating breakup, the loss of a job, loss of our livelihood, even holding our pet's paw when we know that it's going, that we're saying goodbye. And it's really important that we know that moment is a life-changing moment and it is about to transport us into a new world that we won't always know how to navigate and neither will the people around us. And it can be incredibly lonely and isolating. And yet, how many people are like just walking around a grocery store like my person's gone or I just had the, the hardest loss of my life and everyone is just going up about their business. And everyone's going on as life as usual while I am in this free fall and I know nothing will ever be the same. And how do I come out the other side of that? Is there coming out of the other side of that? What was that? What does that look like? And because so many people were calling me during the pandemic and I just didn't have enough, I was volunteering, I had a full-time practice, I was also trying to write a book and I felt so much guilt for not being able to help everyone that called me. And some people who didn't have money for therapy or they didn't live in a place where there was specialized therapists, it just felt really important. And I thought, okay, if I were to write a book that was me as a therapist saying something to someone sitting across the, across the, at the couch for me, what would that look like? And that's what I wanted it to be, just something where you felt less alone, you felt seen, you could understand and learn about your experience, and, and you can actually maybe have some tools to find your way through the other side. And in this new life where everything is just going too fast, everything's going too fast. So that's why I wrote it. And yeah, I care. I care about people grieving. I care about people getting through it. I care about people not feeling so alone. And that sounds cheesy, I guess, sometimes, but I am, um, yeah. It's not cheesy. Yeah. It's the human condition. It's why people do things like the 21 Day Self-Love Challenge, because yeah. they're looking for guidance and connection. They're struggling. They don't know where to go, what to do, or how to do it. They've recognized that something needs to change. There's something that I'm experiencing, and I, I don't know how to name it. I don't know what that is. But being around other people, sharing their experiences with me has, I, I hear this all the time in the challenge, it's really helped me to be able to navigate my own stuff because I recognize that I'm not alone. But I totally thought I was in this experience that somebody else has gone, maybe not through the same thing, but something similar. And then you're able to connect through being online. And like you said, not very, we have this misperception and I see it in my comment section all the time that, oh, you need to go to therapy. Wonderful. Thank you for telling me that. That's absolutely wonderful. But maybe I don't have insurance. Maybe my insurance doesn't pay for that. Maybe I don't have the money for that because I'm trying to send my kid to therapy or whatever other things they have going on in their own life. And it's, we don't allow for that nuance that people are struggling. They're going through difficult times mm -hmm. and they try to escape through the internet to find content that resonates with them. And then they're met with somebody else on the other end saying, yeah, you need to go to therapy. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. And by the way, I am a therapist 20 years and I don't think everybody needs to go to therapy. Yeah. I don't think therapy is for everyone. I think everyone deserves support and the right kind of support for them, but it doesn't have to be through a therapist. And if you've had a terrible experience with a therapist, I am so sorry on behalf of that person <laughs> because it can make it. I've had so many people say, oh, your book is, oh, you're a therapist. Oh, and and it's yes i am a therapist i also lost my mother after a very brief illness and i've lost a lot in my life and i talk about that in the book i've been around the block too and i know it hasn't worked also but based on everything i see in the world it's are afraid i think of confronting the hard things because nobody knows what's at the end of that and sometimes it's not a therapist that's the most helpful
And I think they expect permission from other people mm -hmm. to be able to do certain things. And they certainly seek it from the therapist. I, I probably already know what I need to do, but I just need somebody to give me permission to go and do this thing that I already know that I need to do. Yeah. On the other side of that is it's okay to take a multifaceted approach to your health and your healing. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. You can go to therapy and you can also get a coach or you can dive into self-discovery or personal development, read a book. You all have the capacity, as far as I know, to grab a book, especially Gina's, read it, take notes on it, use that information, integrate it, and then use that throughout your life and then share that experience and that knowledge with other people to help them as well. That's a power that you have and you don't need permission from somebody to go and do that. Nope. Said. It's just brutal. <laughs> You I know. know this is everybody's living with expectations that are coming from people who are ill-informed on our life yeah every yeah. time you have the power in your life to make the changes necessary and as a matter of fact you're the only one that has the power to do that so yes go to therapy if it resonates with you and you can afford it but also recognize there's other avenues that you can take now you said you're also writing another book <laughs> what is this one on um, I, I love that it's spicy. Get a little spicy. Well, Tell us about yeah, it. I have two parts of my personality, right? There's this like part that where I'm I can like, see that I have this part like I actually truly care and I want to help people grieving. And there's this other part of me that also wants that but notices that people are not doing well for one another. And I have this kind of spicy Sicilian side to me that gets very protective of people and protective of my friends or protective of my clients when they're hurt by friends. And so so the book is called That Bitch. Yes. <laughs> the De-Evolution of Friendship and Navigating Friendship Loss. And basically, it's a spicy name, but really it's how do we do this when we feel so alone in life? What happened to friendship? How, how do we find these intimate friends again? How do we do better for one another? And also, it's really good to be this bitch. It's not good to be that bitch. But if you're this bitch, it's really good. <laughs> so I'm working on my proposal for that. And hopefully that will be written this year. But I think there's so much in when writing this book, moving on doesn't mean letting go. I really wanted to talk a lot more about friendship loss. I do talk about friendship loss a bit in the book. But it felt really important at the time post pandemic where people were coming in. My friend of 10 years just decided they didn't want to talk to me anymore. And it's... Yeah happening so much and it's so indicative of where we are in society where nobody is able to really relate easily to one another anymore whether it was because we were isolated for a while or we just are changed in some fundamental way and so i just want to speak to the isolation and sometimes the shame that we carry when we yeah. lose friends that we don't talk about people can talk about losing a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner of some kind a lot easier than they can talk about losing a friend yeah, because it almost feels like a betrayal. Yeah. And a shame. Yeah. Oh, you lost a friend. What did you do? What's wrong with you? And I'm hearing that so often in my work that I'm like, what? How is this possible? But let's look deeper. Let's look deeper. Because if I have 30 people feeling the same way in just a small enclave of New York City, my hope is that whatever help there is in this book um, can reach more isolated, lonely people. Yeah, for sure. But the for now, we've got this one. The, the friendship thing, I, I think, is just so interesting because those breakups seem to be the hardest breakups on people, that they struggle with that the most. And you'll find it in the comments section every now and again, that friend of 10 years, and, and they left mm -hmm. and they moved on. But there's some reasons for that, especially if you're somebody who started doing the work physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, right? You did the whole holistic healing. You're going to therapy. You're doing all these things. Mm -hmm. As you change and you become different, that person is probably going to end up distancing themselves from you if they're not doing the work themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe two people are doing the work and they realize that they have nothing in common. Yes. When the work is leading them in two different directions. And yet it's still a big loss. It's a loss that we don't talk enough about. And especially for women, no offense to the men on here. There's more of an intimacy, I think, that women feel with their female friendships in a different type of way. What actually, Jason? I'd love to, I'd love to explore that more with you. Yeah. See what and see what you're learning along the way. The inside I, scoop. I think that 
people don't like they like you as long as you're doing the e the same or equal to them yeah or equal or lesser to them and i think that's where the growth process comes in as you grow you develop you become new you change you do this stuff you start working out you, you, know, you get a new job you start giving yourself new experiences you get sober Mm-hmm. These are things that really challenge your friend groups because all of a sudden they get found, they feel like they're being found out in some way, shape or form that they're not living up to this imagined expectation that they might have because now you're better than because you went and did all these different things. Mm-hmm. And it's no, not better than just different than. And I recognize the path that I was on and I knew that I wanted to choose a different path because I've been on this path for 10 years. So I knew that there had to be a pivot. There had to be a change if I wanted to accomplish or do something different in my life. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle. I totally agree. I totally agree. And they don't know what to do about it. (laughs) And and the problem is you don't want to lose those friendships. You want to be able to maintain those because they're important to you. And it's, I care about you. I love you. I want you in my life. And I'm not the one rejecting the friendship here, but for whatever reason, you have made it a competition and I only ever want to see other people win. And I think that's really a a huge mindset change or shift that many of us need to start adapting is being okay with seeing other people win and clap for them and be okay with that, especially if it's been your friend for 10 years, 10 years. And you're going to tell them all of a sudden, now you're just too good for us. And it's no, you got something to figure out inside yourself. And then they gaslight each other and they go through that whole process. And it's like, it's. You got it. Yeah. Got and, it. No, it's so true. No, I'm reading even. Yeah, I'm. It's so true. Everything that you just said is really spot on. And then it's the where do we go from there? But I'm just reading about sobriety and friendship loss. It's one of the big ones. It is. Know? It really is. I, I was the, um, the director, clinical director of the Addiction Institute at Mount Sinai Hospital here in New York. Oh, and wow. One of the biggest things that we would here in groups is really the isolation of sobriety. And if I'm going to be alone, what is the purpose? And it's no, you're making space for healthier, better people in your life. It's the people, places, and things we surround ourselves with that have the biggest impact on who we are and like how well we do in the world. And that's incredibly important that it remains healthy and positive um, and nourishing and accountable. (laughs) Yes, and accountable. And that isolation comes because you made a decision to do something different and the other people are not meant to go on that journey with you. If, mm-hmm. if they were, they, they'd be on it with you. And so you have to hit this place of acceptance that, oh, okay, it's okay. I know that at some point I'm going to meet another group of people who's going to resonate with this future version of me, but you have to create that version. You have to figure out who that person is. How are they going to show up? How are they going to be? How are they going to act? How does this particular version of you feel? Because there is a gap for a long period of time in between who you were and who you're becoming. And then you got to figure out all the skills in between there to become this other person. And you'll meet people along the way and they'll drop off. You'll meet more people, they'll drop off. You meet some other people, they'll drop off. But there is, I don't want to call it a destination, but there is a point where you find people that resonate with this new version of you. This, you can call it a more educated version or more stable, however you want to look at it. Use the words that you use for how you describe yourself. Yeah. But you will network and meet those people over time and what a gift that is it really is i was about to make fun of you for calling it a gift (laughs) i see it as a gift (laughs) i'm kidding because some of this stuff i've gone through myself i made a pivot out of law enforcement to do online after an injury i had bicep surgery and a neck injury Hmm. and here i am and i've lived in that place of isolation where it's me and my dog i go on rucks all the time i work out all the time and i make content literally all the time. But the gift that has come from that is now I've met people like yourself, all of these people that they want to see me win. Mm-hmm. And I want to see them win. And, and so, everyone in the comments. Yeah. And everybody in the comments that showed up here today, you win. We support each other and we guide each other and we help each other. And it's that is what it's all about. When you can see that your friendships get so much better, they become more pure in my mind. And they become more connected and integrated. And I think that's a place that we all really want to get to. 
so true. It's so true. Somebody said something about a vibrational match. And yes. it's, it's true. And also the idea that so many of us are always looking outside of our circle. I wrote something at some point on Instagram that was like, why are we always paying attention to the people who are no longer there for us? <laughs> we give so much more energy to the people who've left our lives than the people who consistently are there for us. And that, I, that I know where that comes from. Because <laughs> you, you get this little bit of, oh, yeah, fuck you, watch this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's a little bit of that, that that chimes in there. I like it. Yeah. I like where you're going. I like where this went because it, it did, we got all of it. Yeah. No, we definitely mm -hmm. did. And I'm so glad and thankful that you were here today and made yourself available. I what? Was an hour ago. <laughs> yeah waiting <laughs> you were because of time zones i forgot about central time guys i started laughing because i'm like how many times did she share that and it said 12 p.m central 105 times and <laughs> i did not read the time zone every 106 of those times and, and then so... because and then of course because i'm me i felt immediately guilty <laughs> like i did something wrong <gasps> no. right so i'm sitting here i'm like oh no oh god i'm like you know what just forget about it. <laughs> you did. You know? you did. I, I, like, I did. I'm like, it's totally fine. I was like, no, that's my problem. I'll fix yeah. it. It's okay. It's accountability, right? Oops. I don't know what I was thinking. I just have a, I just got a book out. So for me, I'm a little nutty right now, but I'm, I, but I have to say one of my favorite things, like I, first of all, I love what you do and I know everybody here does too. And so I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the content that you spend so much time putting out and making, but also the authenticity. And you are a safe space for so many people. And I'm just so glad that we got connected and I can call you a friend. And I get to meet your amazing community, even if I can't see any of your faces. I hope that you connect with me over Instagram or Facebook, one or the other. I'm just at Gita Mafa LCSW. I'm, my name is somewhere here. Yeah. But I would love to yeah, just stay in touch, to stay in touch, because community is everything. And it's important, so especially these days. Absolutely. So thank you for having me here. Um, for sure. And thank you for plugging my book, which I'm always like shy about. So I appreciate. Why are you shy about that? I don't know. I'm not. I'm really bad at marketing myself, right? It's. I. But I did write a book that I care about and that I hope helps people and lands as a soft place. But I'm. I don't. I've never been great at self marketing. So I just. I wrote it and I was like, I hope someone reads it. That's funny. I, I can tell you having, cause you come with me on my rucks every now and again, I haven't finished the book, but oh. so you'll be in my ear a lot of the time. And I've gotten so many notes in my notes app as I'm walking, I'll, I'll stop the book and I'll type something in because it just, it resonates yeah. with me and my experience and things that I've gone through. So I would encourage everybody, if you haven't gotten the book, number one, oh. go and get the book. Because within the first few pages, you're going to have a ton of notes available for you at the end of that. And the authenticity with which you wrote the book, I think, is just astonishing and something that doesn't happen in the clinical world today as often as it probably should. We, I think a lot of therapists or people in that clinical world are afraid to express themselves in a more natural state. Uh, because of some of the backlash that might come from that on the internet and people's mm -hmm. other people within the field, they may dislike that way of being, oh, you're an influencer now. And it's like, no, it's common sense stuff that not common sense. You did a lot of research on this, obviously. <laughs> it's things that, that are life changing if you allow it to wash over you and really take it in and take notes on it. So yeah, go get the book, you. go follow thank Gina you. on social media. You're going to learn you so a lot, much. guys. And she goes live quite often. So you'll get access to her through the lives. Thank you so much. And yes, it is an audiobook, and she's a dramatic one. So I read it. I read it. Yeah, I love but it. Thank you so much. I loved being here. I would love to stay connected. Jason, you for rock. Sure. And thank you again for having me and doing this for so many people. It's a blessing. So thank you. Thanks, Jane. Have a good day. You too. Bye, everyone.